God bless you. We say this all the time. But what does it really mean? What do we mean by saying it? You're listening to a Bellwether sermon series called God Bless You. It's on the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. In it, we ask the questions, do you feel blessed? Do you know God's blessings? Do you believe you can have God's blessings? We'll see this as we hear what Jesus says. Thank you for listening. We'd love for you to worship with us on a Sunday morning soon. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the great I am. Thank you that there are people here who know you as the great I am. Thank you more so that there are people who don't know you in that way that are here this morning. I pray that regardless of whether we know you in that light or we don't, that you would melt our hearts, that the power of your spirit would overwhelm anything that is holding us back from knowing your love for us, for knowing what you have done for us in Jesus. It could be walls of uh, anger or, or bitterness or just simply stagnation in life. I pray we would know you for who you are, God, your power, your greatness, your holiness, your ability to heal, heal people, heal marriages, heal relationships, heal a world that you are doing by your church and by us. And we give you thanks for that. And may we be raised as leaders more and more for Jesus and in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. And uh, if you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew 5. Uh, If you don't, we have Bibles on the back table. You can pick one up. You can take it home with you. Uh, Before we get into Matthew 5, and I'm going to read verse 1 through 12, I just want to answer a question about why I just prayed. Uh, Now, if you come to Bellwether, you know uh, between the song and the sermon, generally uh, I come up and I pray. Some of you may think, you know, that's a a good transition point, uh, which it is. You may think, uh, well, he just kind of does that. You know, it's churchy, it's holy, uh, which it is. Uh, But more so, it's a very, actually, it's an important time because uh, I know, because I I talk to uh, people about uh, what is holding, let me just say, their hearts back. Uh, And what I believe can can block our hearts, uh, not from what I say or not from what our worship team sings, but what the Holy Spirit says. And uh, often that can be uh, anger, uh, it could be bitterness, uh, it could be a bad church experience, uh, it could be conflict in relationships here, as in like, you know, two rows up from you, there is that, that person or, or that guy or that family that said something or did something or said many things, and, you know, you're thinking about that. Uh, it could be our own idols, I'm going to talk about that today, it could be the idol of pleasure and recreation, which is a good thing but it becomes an ultimate thing that can be our God and we're either thinking about the golf course uh, or about food we're going to enjoy Sunday dinner or, um, I don't know, about, I don't know, kicking back, watching sports or TV or whatever we do uh, on Sunday. And so my prayer is that God would, uh, would just overpower hearts, melt walls, open up to receive, uh, again, not what I say, but what God says through His Word and through His power in our hearts. And I'm going to be talking about the heart 
your heart, our hearts a lot today. Now, we're in this series that we just call God Bless You, a phrase that we say a lot. Uh, and it is all about uh, blessings. It's really all about, do you feel blessed in your life? Uh, you know, you may have what you think is everything, uh, money, house, family, job, everything. Do, do you really feel blessed? Or you may not have those things, and do you think those are the blessings that, uh, that you're looking for, that you are seeking for in life? It is all about blessing, and as Christians, to know that we have blessings uh, more than we can fathom. And it's really all about knowing the joy that we can have in Christ. You know, I see a lot of Christians, and look, I fall into this myself often, that really claim Christ and they're Christians and just not joyful people. It's just like, there's no joy. And, you know, if we claim Christ and if He's done a work in our hearts, I'm going to keep going back to the heart today, I mean, we should always have joy regardless of the trial which we will face regardless of the challenges which we have daily, regardless of the persecutions which Jesus is going to talk about we're going to read, we should have this joy that we, when we really have it. You may not realize it, but we have it all. We have it all in Jesus. It's not just fire insurance. It's not just a fear of hell that saves us. We have it all now. We have it all life. And you may or you may not realize that, but I pray that you might start today and that that would grow, that joy in you and in us as a church would grow. So let's, let's look at what he says, Matthew 5, verse 1 through 12. Verse 1, it says, Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's stop there. Those are known as the Beatitudes. Uh, The Beatitudes are the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And... Often we read these and we think, okay, there are eight different types of people because there are eight Beatitudes. But really they're one type of person and eight different traits or characteristics. One is mercy. We talked about that last week, mercy and forgiveness. Today, and I was reading about it uh, and studying it, you know, I was really led, and I was going to do more than one verse, but we're really just going to focus on verse 8, the pure in heart. That you have a pure heart. And we've talked about too that uh, the Beatitudes are all about how it looks when a person lives in the kingdom of God. We, you know, we throw the word kingdom around a lot. We have it in our mission statement, raise the kingdom. I have often been asked, you know, what is the kingdom of God? Well, when you live in the kingdom, 
These are Jesus' words. You're living in this way. You are giving mercy. You have this pure heart. Often we think of the kingdom only as the salvation experience. You know, are you in or are you out? And Jesus says being born again, which is a phrase we use, is actually the door to enter into the kingdom of God. John 3.3, we've been using that verse uh, a good bit, that it says, you must be born again to enter into the kingdom of God. And being born again enters us into supposedly this life, this kingdom, this joyful state. Now often, let me talk about salvation, you think, because this series is really tied to, I mean, are you truly saved? And I don't think it's a bad deal to kind of push us on our, what we call, assurance of salvation. It's not a fire insurance deal, it's a life deal. It's a way of living. And I want people saved. I want people really saved. I want people living in the kingdom of God. So often we think it's saved. One is like you turn, you know, kind of ultra conservative. And a lot of times, like, you might lose friends or, you know, man, they, they had that moment. Maybe it was at church. Maybe it was, you know, often like walked to Emmaus and, you know, they're changed. So, you know, they stopped drinking or partying or doing that or, or stopped carousing. And, you know, they're, they're recommitting their life. And we, we think of salvation in those terms. Uh, I had that happen to me, honestly, when I chose to become a pastor uh, and put aside like a life of, you know, one instance there was just hedonism and partying and the other was, you know, searching for power and status and career. And I lost a lot of friends because they just thought, well, now he's gone like weird and conservative and Jesus freak because I'm going to be a pastor. Now, I mean, I can be weird. I mean, some of y'all know. I mean, I don't think I was that weird, but I mean, I did, I, I lost some friends and lost some relationships. And often we think of it like that, that, you know, now they're, now they're, you know, they're, they're no fun. So that's, that's what we think of as salvation. Some of us might. Another way we think of it is like it's this big emotional experience. Uh, those of y'all who are here, you know, we think of Easter a month ago. It was awesome. It was powerful. It was emotional. And, you know, it's like everybody's jacked up and the music and we're seeing the baptisms. And it's just powerful and it's just hitting us. And, I mean, I hope you felt that. And, you know, that, so salvation is, you know, going here, you know, ultra conservative or, you know, you might say Jesus freak. And this emotional experience. It is those things, but that's not, it shouldn't be all we seek in salvation and being saved. I think of uh, salvation like really one of two ways. And this, I heard this, I didn't, I wasn't smart enough to come up with it, but uh, it's the best way I could describe what it looks like in the life of a person. All of us, all of us are what I'd call tough soil. I mean, you know, the soil is tough in our lives. And see, salvation is that God plants the Holy Spirit in our hearts, heart again, and it blossoms. And so we're, we're tough soil, so how does that happen? And I think of it in two ways. One, what do you do, and, and I'm not a planter, former agriculture guy, but uh, you know, I've heard this and kind of seen it. One way you plant, one way you, you know, get the soil ready to grow is you, you water it, you irrigate it. So some of us in our being saved are like water people, that we're tough soil, and the Lord waters over time uh, through people, maybe through a mom, through a dad, uh, maybe through a mentor, maybe through a church, and God is watering us over time, developing the soil to plant the seed so it will blossom. Now the salvation moment, it happens right there in a moment, but it's 
you know, it's going and growing that we really can't distinguish when it happens. You probably heard some folks say, you know, I can't remember, you know, when I wasn't a Christian. You know, I was just raised and grew and, you know, it's been in me and grown. But the salvation did happen in a moment and God just watered that soil in our lives to plant the seed. Now, I'm a water person, just truth be told. I'm a water person. Some of y'all are water person. The other type, I like to call the pickaxe person, okay? Now, some of y'all who have gone to Honduras with us, uh, you know the tough dirt when we dig that, I don't know, what is it? Where's Tabor? Well, Tabor, no, anyway. I'll be like a 15-foot hole to uh, put a septic tank in for a house. And, you know, we've got the pickaxe, and we're breaking up the dirt over and over again. And those of y'all who don't know and are going to Honduras, you will get to experience uh, that blessing of being in a 10-foot hole uh, in the heat of Central America and no air and dirt. Anyway, it's, uh, it's a humbling, uh, you, you meet Jesus down there. Many people have. So come to Honduras. But anyway, a lot of us are saying, we're like pickaxe folks. I mean, God brings down the pickaxe on us at a time, at a moment. Um, so some of you are, are pickaxe folks. And, and both are like good, and both are how God works. Uh, and you could probably come up with some other illustrations. For me, I like the water and the pickaxe. Uh, like I said, I'm a water person. Some of y'all here are pickaxe people. We see water people in the Bible. We see pickaxe people in the Bible. Timothy, if you know your Bible, Paul talks about Timothy being raised by his grandmother and his mom. I think of Timothy as a water person. Paul, if you know, Paul got it slammed down. Paul was a pickaxe person. So that's kind of how... Like I see that moment of salvation, but God plants the seed. Now, what we do often is if the kingdom, if living for Christ is like the house, we always focus on the door. I mean, we focus, you know, are you in or out, which is vitally important, but we don't live in the door. You get what I'm saying? Like, you know, if we come to the house, you know, we don't necessarily say to a door, hey, can I live in you door? I mean, we don't, can I just stand here and this is, you know, where my life is? We've got to move in. We, we live in the house. The door gets us in, but a lot of time we spend a lot of effort on the mode of getting in the door uh, rather than the content of what God does. God plants the Holy Spirit in our heart. It blossoms, and we live in the house. So I don't know if you've ever heard like salvation or being saved talked about in that way. But let me say it again. God plants the Holy Spirit in heart. And it blossoms. And so as the church, we want to help it blossom. We want to help you live in the house. We, we would love for you to be a water person or a pickaxe person. Uh, we don't have a pickaxe here, but the Lord will bring it down when he wants to. But that's just the door. And then we want to live, we want to live in the house. So, and here we get back to the verse, verse 8. And that's what we're going to focus on. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall See God. Blessed are the pure at heart. I believe that this verse, this verse 8, is the mark of a true Christian. Do you have a pure heart? Do you have a new heart? Right, what are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. I can, let me use myself as an example. I could change my behavior and actions. I could change my thoughts. I could change my relationships and not be a Christian and my heart still be selfish. Here's what I'm talking about. I can change my actions. Like, okay, I'm going to do good. I'm going to start doing good. I'm going to do good work because, um, you know, I want to be esteemed in the community and I want to be seen as doing good. 
I would change my relationships kind of for the same way. I want to hang around with good people because that will mean good opportunities. It might mean good business opportunities. Hey, I'm going I'm to pick myself up by the bootstraps. I'm going to clean my life up. I'm going to go to church. So I'll start doing good and start hanging out with good people. And that will bring me good relationships. It could bring me, you know, maybe a, uh, you know, a good significant relationship or maybe a good marriage. Or maybe it will heal my marriage. And I could even change my thoughts. I'm going to say, I'm going to start thinking positive. Because if I think positive, I'll start living positive and start doing positive things. You could change all that and your heart still be selfish for self-interest, self-motives, for me, 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 me. So that's why I say I think the mark of a Christian is a pure heart. And I always say to people, well, how do you know if someone is saved or not? I always say, I can't see their heart. Only God sees your heart. However, from what I know and see in their life, you know, I believe that they are a Christian, or I believe after they pass that they are with the Lord. But only God sees the heart. So we can really dress it up pretty good, but only the Lord sees the heart. So the mark of a Christian is a pure heart, a new heart. So I want to talk today three quick questions. What is a pure heart? It says in the Bible, what's a pure heart? How do you know if you have a pure heart? here today. You're like, well, he's talking about a pure heart. Do I have one? How do you know if you have a pure heart? How to get a pure heart? First, what is a pure heart? Uh, We think about heart, the word heart, as like emotion, you know, love, Valentine's Day, the red heart. We often think of the heart emotion uh, versus head knowledge or reason. The Bible, the word for heart and the way the Bible talks about heart is very different. Uh, It is not just one part of our bodies or thinking it is the base. It is the foundation. The literal word for heart is called uh, radex in Scripture. Radex, which means we get our word root from that. Uh, we also get the word radical from that. So it's like the very, very bottom and from what everything else springs up. So it is the foundation. It is, uh, it's like the, the wellspring. It is, it is where everything else comes from in the Bible. So that's why the heart is so important here. It's, it's where everything else flows. Purity, it's a little easier. It'd be single, focused, unmixed, uh, not duplicit. So that your heart, the beginning, the foundation, the root, is single and focused. On what? Well, that's sometimes what we have to battle with. We want it to be on God. God wants it to be on God. Let's look at where it talks about heart, and Jesus ties this very phrase in Scripture, both before He uh, spoke and then after as well. First, uh, I've got a couple of Scripture passages to share with you. You can write them down, or they'll be on the screen. Psalms uh, 24. Psalms 24, 3 through 4. What does it say about the heart here? And we've sang this verse, and we're actually singing it again today as we're taking communion. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands... And a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul. We sing it as another. But here it says to what is false. Does not swear deceitfully. Moving on. Later in the Old Testament. Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36. This is God's words. So look what God says here. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. Back to the heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes 
and be careful to obey my rules. One more scripture. This is after Jesus in Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now there was some things that all three of those passages had in common about what is a pure heart. One, a pure heart has to be sprinkled clean. Washed clean. And it's something that we can't do. But God can by the power of the Holy Spirit. God gives us a new heart. He washes our hearts clean. But then it also talks about a heart that no longer has idols. That idols are removed from our life. So what's a pure heart? What's a new heart? It's a heart that is sprinkled clean and doesn't have any idols. Now you may be saying, or that would lead me to ask, well, what's an idol? Because growing up and I'd go to Sunday school, when I heard idol, I would think, okay, that's like golden calf, that when Moses came down from the mountain, you know, they had the idol, and that's, that's literally what I would always think about as an idol. Uh, idols are, are much more and, and can be much worse in our lives. I always define idol, it's a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing. Or it's a good thing that becomes our total security uh, and our identity. So, you know, an idol could be um, a great job. Or your idol could be the job you have. Or an idol could be money, wealth. You know, what money can get you, the toys it can get you. Or an idol can be a career. Well, if I just get, you know, this position, if I just get here, just get here. Idol can be a family. Again, it's a good thing. These are good things, but they become ultimate things. Well, if I just have this perfect family and make my perfect family, an idol can be a marriage. Again, very good thing, but it becomes the ultimate thing. Well, if I just have this type of marriage, or if my marriage would only work like this, it can be our kids. Again, beautiful things. I, I love my kids, but it's like, well, only if you know, our kids do this and succeed here and everything from you know, make cheerleader to go to you know, West Point or Annapolis. or you know, all Our children are idols too. Relationships. For those of y'all youth, you know, growing up, you know, being part of the cool crowd, uh, that doesn't change much as you grow up to adults. And being in the right, you know, club or supper club or, you know, whatever it is. So what's our idol? And here's the thing. I, I know people who achieve their idols and they're still restless. Well, I mean, one of those would be standing in front of you. A lot of you have achieved your idols. Uh, are you at peace? Do you have rest? Are you restless? You know, the thing, uh, also, artists really get this. I don't claim to be an artist or anything like this. And uh, Chris said, I mean, I can't sing. But uh, musicians, and, you know, looking at the words of songs, they really, really get this fact. Uh, one musician slash theologian, Christian, uh, and, you know, to show how you know, uncool I am, I, I don't even know if I'm going to get the, the pronunciation right, but Bono, Bono, you know, U2. Uh, now, you know, I love U2 and great music. A lot of them have these Christian themes, and one of the most famous songs is, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I mean, how many of y'all could that be like the title of your life in pictures? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And we have these idols, and many of us achieve them, and yet we're restless still, restless still. And you know what's interesting, I see this on like both sides of the whole conservative or, uh, you know, moral line, 
you know, I could talk to dudes or guys who are like, you know, let's say they have been in adultery or affairs or, you know, they have trouble issues with lust. And I've heard this said, they're like, man, you know, I just, just need this or I just, I just need women or I just, you know, I just, you know, can't control, I just need this. And they're still restless. And then on the other side, I could say, you know, the picture perfect white picket fence family, and I've talked to folks, they're still restless. Idols can be, you know, we often think of the, the bad stuff, but it can be the, the good things, and we, we attain it, we're like, we're restless. So what do we do? Well, we have a pure heart. Get a new heart, sprinkled clean. God says, man, don't trust in your idols anymore. Don't think your idols can save you. Stop trying to save yourself. Trust in me. We'll get to that in a minute, but how do you know maybe if your heart is pure? How do you know if you have a pure heart? I want to take a test real quick, and the test is, are you nice or are you new? C.S. Lewis uh, wrote, uh, I love this uh, phrase, sentence, Christianity is not here to make nice people, but new people. So a great test about if your heart is new is, well, are you nice or are you new? So just kind of do a little test. You can do it in your mind. Uh, One thing would be, do you focus more on the external and the outer, either the way you look or appear or outward appearances? Uh, Nice people do. New people focus more on the inner. What's God saying in my heart? You know, how is my heart? Do you, uh, are you afraid of failure? How that would look, you know, maybe on your, I don't know, resume or how it would look to your peers. Just how it would feel inside. Nice people are afraid of failure. New people aren't. New people are unafraid of failure and could say, man, God will grow me through this. God will grow me in a mighty, mighty way. Are you afraid, or can you? Actually, a phrase is the wrong one. Can you be insulted? And some of us are afraid of insulted, too. Can you be insulted? A nice person can't be insulted because it's really all about the exterior and how they look. And if someone pierces that or cuts in that, then it does hurt us and it cuts us. A new person can be insulted because they don't trust in themselves, they don't trust in their idols, and they're like, you know, God will, God can work in that. God will work in that. Are you spending your life always just racking up good works? Hey, I'm, you know, I'm part of this you know, community society. Hey, I'm doing these good deeds. Hey, you know, I'm maybe becoming a leader in my church. Man, you know, maybe I'll lead a group. Hey, you know, I'd, I'd love to be a deacon. You know, I'm getting up there in rank. Is it all about racking up your good works? That's how nice people are. New people think, and what is God doing here? New people are always surprised at what God's doing. New people grow wiser. New people grow more humble. And the last one I'd say, you know, do we, um, do we separate people into good-bad categories? They're good, they're bad. I mean, you could, you know, label something different. You know, that, you know I want to hang out, don't, you know, good, bad. Nice people do. New people, separate them to renewed and renewable. That someone's either renewed or they can be renewable because God can do that. What does your test say? 
Are you nice or are you new? And some of you are like, brother, I'm neither, okay? I'm not nice and I ain't new. Praise God that you are here. You know why? Because Jesus loves what I call the hard cases. The hard cases. Like, I ain't nice, I ain't new. Praise God. I want you to look at one other verse, Matthew 11, 4 through 6. Jesus answered, and this is John the Baptist saying, how do we know you're the Messiah? And Jesus answered, go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Y'all may have heard this. Y'all may have read it before. But Jesus is saying, the deaf, the blind, the lame, the lepers, the hard cases. Jesus said, I love the hard cases because then I can show my full power and my full glory and what I'll do in their life and how I will heal and how I will work miracles. So if you say, man, I'm neither, brother, praise God because Jesus is going to show His power and His glory in you most of all. Amen? Amen. But how do you know? A new heart says, I'm going to push aside my idols and I'm going to be directly and singly focused on Jesus and I'm going to surrender my life at whatever the cost. So last, real quick, how do you get a new heart? And this is really easy and really simple and really short. How do you get a new heart? You stop trusting in your idols and again, that can be like, you know, pick the poison. Money, power, status, relationships, and even the very good things that have become ultimate things and that we place our security in. Have you placed your security in a marriage, whether it is good or struggling? Do you place your security in your children? Do you place your security in the relationships that you have? Is your identity found in your job and in your career? All of this will be gone one day. And we will look and stand face to face with eternity. So how do we get a pure heart? We stop trusting in these idols. And you ask Jesus into your heart. For some of you that may sound like a cliche. Some of you are like, man, I've heard that before. I'm asking you to hear it a different way. Ask Jesus into your heart. Say, Jesus, cleanse my heart, sprinkle it new, give me a pure heart, and become focused on Him and say, I'm going to give you my life. And if we don't do that, if we don't do that, we're lost. Now that may have offended some of you. It used to offend me. But see, we look in God's Word and Scripture about the good stuff, uh, the joy, the bliss, the love, the peace. But then we don't hear the stuff he says about danger. And I'm not talking about fire insurance. I'm talking about like for this life, like being lost in the woods and wandering and searching and restless and never at peace and never having that sure foundation. That's dangerous territory. That's not what God wants. Ask Jesus into your heart. Are you nice? Repent. Repent today. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Are you new? Repent. Because we're never new enough. And if you're neither, 
Again, praise God, because you're the person that Jesus really wants to show his power and his glory in. And if we all did that, if the nice repented, if the new repented, if the neither believed, man, and if we said to one another, we're new, and you can be new too, to anybody and everybody, this church would change. But not only would this church change, this city would change. And we would. We, we would change the world for the kingdom just by saying, are you new? You can be. I'm new. You can be too. Be new today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that it is so simple and so easy and we make it so complicated. And it's all about asking you into our hearts. And that, that doesn't automatically say that the problems that we're facing today or this afternoon just minimize or disappear, but that we know that you are in them and you're working in them. And we're not afraid to fail, nor do insults hurt us. Because we say, how, how are you working in this, Lord? What are you saying to me? And you do great work in the hard cases. And so if we're a hard case, dear Lord, praise God because you can reveal your power. And I pray people would come to know you, whether you water their life or whether you bring down the pickaxe. And we would have pure hearts and truly know the salvation offered in you, Jesus. Amen.